welcome back to another episode of the Minor Tweak Major Impact Podcast. In today's first episode of 2021, we had the pleasure of speaking with Chelsea Connor, who is a herpetologist, science communicator, and artist from the Commonwealth of Dominica. Her love for animals started a long time ago, and she always knew she wanted to work with animals. Chelsea hopes to inspire and pave the way for many other black naturalists and nature lovers with her work. In this episode, we're talking with Chelsea about her work, herpetology, lizards, anoles, science communication, and more. So let's jump right in. Chelsea, I would like to welcome you to the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am always honored to be asked to, to do a podcast because it's like, oh, someone wants to hear what I have to say. That's really exciting. And I do have a lot to say. <laughs> Sometimes I, I say too much. I hope we don't have to do two parts. We can totally do two parts. So we're very excited to have you here and hear your stories. But just to get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what you're currently working on? Yeah. Uh, like we said earlier, my name is Chelsea Connor. I am a herpetologist from the Commonwealth of Dominica, that's an island in the Caribbean, and I am currently studying gnolls. So my current research project is the dietary niche overlap of the native and invasive anoles on my island. And that's just a really fancy way of saying that I'm looking at what they're eating to see if they're eating the same things, because... One species is invasive, so that could affect the native population. I'm also a birder. I'm a lot better with island birds because that's what I grew up with. But I um, am getting better with American birds every day. Cool. How did you first get interested in herpetology or more specifically really studying anoles? Growing up in Dominica, we have a wide range of flora and fauna, and I pretty much always knew that I wanted to work with animals. I did have a brief moment where I was like, maybe I should be an archaeologist, but otherwise it's always been like vet or marine biologist. I've always had a love for animals, and I distinctly remember my first like up-close encounter with a snake, and my second and third and fourth. <laughs> And I always thought that I was going to end up working with birds because I really fixated on them. My mom bought me a bird guide for our island and it's out of print now. So the, the one that I have, I take really good care of it. But I got to Texas where I'm currently going to school and I met my advisor and I learned that he was doing research on my island about the anoles. It's like, oh, wait, you're working on, on my island. That's interesting. And I started to learn more about them and just like working with him in the lab and getting to, to do this research. I realized that I actually love reptiles more than birds. Uh, please don't cancel me, Team Bird. I still love you. But reptiles are where it's at for me. And these lizards are my favorite things ever. And I just fell in love with them and I want to study them for the rest of my life if possible. That's super cool. And so my next question is, what does your typical work look like? And it sounds like you have to go on the field a lot, but also do you do work in the lab? What does your typical job day look like when you're doing your work? Yeah. So some scientists, some biologists have field seasons and I'm one of those people. So a field season is a specific point in time where you go out in the field and collect data. So depending on what your research is about, 
there is that certain amount of time that you can go out and collect the data and the rest of the time you're either in the lab working or you're interpreting your results and you're writing up. So for me, my field season would be during the summer when the research trip takes place. We can do it this summer because of the pandemic, <laughs> but I would fly to Dominica with all my equipment. Some of the equipment that I need is already over there as well. But a typical day would be wake up, have breakfast, and I'm camping in the jungle. So I'm sleeping in a tent in the jungle. And I find out who are my students for the day because the organization that we work with to do the research, it's funded by high school students who want to learn about research. They get to come along with research volunteers while we collect data and learn about what we're doing and why it's important and how we're going to use this data. So they get to have a look into data collection in the field and research and get to learn a lot about different kinds of animals as well. I'd find out who my students are, get everything ready, teach them how to tie a lasso and each of them would get their own pole. It's basically a fishing pole. So they each get their own. I tie them, show them how to tie the lasso. And then we go out to wherever the site is. For my research, I had four different sites for the four different ecotypes of the native anole on the island. So we go to one of those four sites and we'd catch as many anoles as we needed for the day and collect fecal samples from them. They were willing to give them at that point in time and take measurements like the temperature and their length. And we measure lizard length from the snout, from the tip of the nose to their cloaca, which is where they poop from. <laughs> we don't include the tail length because lizards can drop their tails. That would affect the results. If the lizard did not provide a fecal sample, we take it back with us to camp in a canvas bag and just wait for it to poop in the bag and then release it the next day in the same spot that we caught it from. With the lab, all of the samples that we collected, so let's see, there was what? I think it's, it's definitely over 100 samples, fecal samples. I take those to the lab and with extracting and sequencing the DNA, it's a bit of a complicated process and I'm not sure that I could do it justice explaining it right now, especially since I haven't done it or looked at the procedure in a while. But there's a lot of adding reagents and putting things in the centrifuge to spin out and then <laughs> taking it back out, adding more reagents before you get to the, the part where you you get to find out what is actually in the fecal samples. There's a lot of pipetting and wasting <laughs> for that part of it. But this whole entire process, it sounds very adventurous to go out and like in the jungle. Yes. My favorite spot was it's called Freshwater Lake, and it is one of the larger lakes on the island, I believe. But it is up in the cloud forest. Dominica is a very mountainous island, and we have a lot of cloud forest. And this lake is up in one of those areas. We drive up most of the way, and then there's a trail that takes you around the lake. And it just takes you further up the mountain as well. And a lot of the times that you're there, there's like fog because, again, you're in cloud forest. But I did manage to get a really good picture one day when it just happened to be really clear. And it's really pretty. But that's where we find the montane ecotype of 
the anol. You can find it in other parts too, but that was the site that we chose to find it specifically because we know for sure that they would be there. That was a spot where the invasive anole was not found at all last time it was sampled. We did find some this time, but they were only in the parking lot because they don't like the same kind of terrain and temperatures that the native anole likes. I noticed that I said ecotypes earlier and I didn't explain what it was. Okay, so an ecotype is a geographic variation, to put it really simply. They're all still the same species, but what happens is there's variation in what they look like, and there's not enough variation genetically for them to be subspecies. They just look different on different parts of the island. That's interesting. One thing I was also wondering is, so when you only have like this one, I don't know how many weeks is a field season? Mine was seven weeks. I think field season varies on your species and where you are and other resources. I was wondering how much time or how much effort goes into planning and preparing for those like seven weeks beforehand uh, a fair amount because you need to make sure that you have everything you need you need to check the inventory that is off at the site that you need to go to so you need to have had made good notes about what you have left there and double check make sure everything's correct because you don't want to show up and you're like yeah no i left five of this at the site and you get to the site and there's only two, and now you don't have enough. Inventory on your last day when you leave is really important because that's one of the first things that you look at when you're preparing to go the next time. Also, making sure that you do it far ahead enough in time that all of your material come in when you need it to come in is really important. Just writing up your procedure, knowing what you're going to do. You always need to have a plan when you go out, even if something very slightly day to day but you need to know here's what I'm going to do here's what I'm going to look for this is what we're collecting these other kinds of samples we're looking for I want to make sure that we have the data collected in this way if you need a sheet that you put all of your values in as you're like measuring an animal make sure you have that written up and everything so one question that I always ask on this podcast is Did you ever experience a minor tweak major impact moment in your research? And what that means is so oftentimes there are methods and sometimes they work with one person and another person tries to do the same method and something goes wrong and it just doesn't work. I would expect if you're working with animals that are out in the wild, it's very hard to actually maybe predict what's going to happen. But did you ever have any story where something very totally unexpected happened or it didn't happen that you were expected that would happen? I think more, it's more like a couple small things, especially it was my first time and I wanted to make sure I had everything like done perfectly. So I always like double checked everything. But we did end up going out one day and we didn't have our data sheets. The colleague that I asked to get it said that she did, but she forgot them on the table. So it's just really simple to be like, okay, looks like we're just going to have to write it down on our phone and everybody's each student's gonna be responsible for like a certain measurements that we don't get it all mixed up because normally it'd be like okay somebody's writing it down so as the numbers are coming out you're getting to write it down but having to change how you're recording the data 
putting it onto your phone, you want to make sure you have it written properly and you want to make sure that you're not losing anything. Typing something up like that, sometimes it takes a bit, especially holding on to a lizard in the rain because <laughs> it was raining. It just make sure that everybody has a responsibility so that you get your data collected properly, despite the fact that you don't have the easiest way to do that. Now, shifting gears a little bit, you're also very active on social media, especially on Twitter, I saw, and you even created a hashtag that's did you annul? Can you tell us a little bit about what that is all about and how did that start? And also, what kind of role does really social media play in your everyday life and how do you use it for science communication? Okay, so Did You Annul is my personal annul natural history project. I started it because I love annuls and I felt like being on Twitter following all of the scientists that I do, all of the other animal researchers and biologists. Okay, I get to hear about all of these species all the time. I hear about deer and wolves and big cats. And I'm like, oh my God, nobody's talking about lizards, much less my lizard. <laughs> Somebody should talk about these lizards. And Anole Annals does have, Anole Annals is the Anole Science blog. They do have a Twitter account. But like somebody actively who is like, hey, guys, let's talk about this lizard. It's just like a couple sporadic tweets from other anol scientists every now and then. As far as I know, <laughs> I could be wrong. I am probably the most active anol scientist on Twitter. I tweet a lot and some of them barely tweet at all. <laughs> I've checked. Dr. Lose's Twitter and he I think he just like does a tweet a day maybe and meanwhile I'm on here at 4 a.m. <laughs> tweeting do you want to see my favorite Anol picture everyone's asleep post the nose <laughs> so I did look at a lot of them so everybody should definitely go and check them out yes there's a lot of good Anol pictures out there especially if you go to iNaturalist And just typing anoles, you will find a ton of great anole pictures. I actually use iNaturalist for some of my posts. And I always credit who the pictures came from. Always remember to credit where you're getting your pictures from. They don't belong to you. They need to be credited. Yeah, so I started the hashtag, did you annul? So every week, I was like, did you know about this lizard? And I shared some natural history facts about an annul. And if I had the time to, in the week since my last one, if I had the time to read some research about it, or I already know some research about the lizard that I've previously read before, then I will include that as well because one of the things people have trouble with sometimes if they're not a scientist is understanding the research papers that come out about a species because we tend to use a lot of terms that they don't use in everyday life and it's probably something they've never heard before so it's really important to be able to break that down and explain what it means sometimes it takes a little bit more time to explain something because there's a lot of parameters and nuance that you have to give to it but it is possible so that's one of the things that I aim to do I think an important part of science communication is 
making sure that everybody understands the work that you're doing, not just another scientist. Right. I agree. That's super important. And I really like all the things you're doing. And one other thing that I saw that's super cool, and everybody should also definitely check that out, is you're actually also drawing the lizards too. And you even you create like really fun stickers with the anoles and t-shirts and I think even face masks. What is the story behind that? And how did that get started? Yeah, a friend said to me that Like every time I post a picture of an anole, it looks like they have like really bright popsicle colored dewlap. And I was like, oh, that's a fun idea. I should draw that someday. And I went ahead like one night. I was like, oh, I might as well just do it now. And I drew it and I was like, oh, this actually looks amazing. I asked my friends like, hey, guys, do you think that if this was a sticker, you would buy it? And they all said yes. And I was like, okay, all right. So that's promising. Maybe I really should go ahead and make that a sticker then. So I, I did. And everybody like really loved the design and the idea. I was like, okay, I guess I found a, a cool thing. They're really fun to draw. It's really fun to think of how I can interpret this dewlap as a popsicle, like translating dots. Do I want to just put dots in the popsicle? Do I want to give it sprinkles? What am I going to make it look like with one of the designs that I did, the equatorial anole? It has a lot happening on its dewlap. Its dewlap is like lime green and then there's some striping and then there's also spots and that was really interesting to have to interpret because it's a fun challenge for me and then I know that somebody's gonna look at this sticker and they're gonna be like okay here's the sticker of a lizard on a popsicle what is the story behind that and that to me is exactly what I'm looking for somebody to ask the question what is that about what's behind that because that curiosity sparks interest and then you find out what it is and you want to learn more and the goal is always to encourage people to ask questions and learn more that's super cool and I'll be sure to also add a link to the stickers in the show notes so be sure to check that out They're really fun. I also have two venomous snakes right now. I'm planning on making it an entire like series. So basically, <laughs> the whole point of them is to remember to respect wildlife and give them their space. One of the things that I hear a lot about snakes is that they chase you and that they're angry all the time. And it's like, really honestly you walk by a lot of snakes and you don't even notice because they would rather not be seen by you. They're usually hiding. It's very expensive for them to use their venom and bite something that's not prey unless they feel very threatened. So snakes don't chase people. They um, slither away. They prefer to hide or run and biting is an absolute last resort if they feel cornered. So you always want to remind people to give wildlife space. You don't want to back them into a corner because it could be dangerous for both of you. So the snakes are like my really cheeky way of saying give wildlife space. I do have another null on there that says F ice. <laughs> I drew that when they were going to send into national students back home which has since been reversed but the sentiment still stands <laughs> so it's still up and then I have a couple 
like different colors of a woke girl <laughs> design which is a very long story but the shortest way that i can put it is somebody said something racist and i called them out on it and after lots of back and forth of them being very upset that i called them out on it they insulted me by calling me a psychom woke girl which doesn't even make sense but i was like that's funny and i decided to make it my twitter banner and people ask for it on a shirt so i was like sure let's just do that that's fun so it's it's just me reclaiming an insult yeah but that's not cool of them but i, I like that you act on it yeah there's a couple of people that actually have banners because they asked me to make them banners. Like I said, if anybody wants a banner, just let me know if you want me to change the color. And a lot of people are like, yeah, can I get it in blue? Can I get it in red? <laughs> There's a thread out there somewhere of 20 of them in different colors. Oh, wow. That's funny. So to wrap up, I think it's really awesome, like all the things you're doing. And I think it's definitely obvious that you really love what you do and you love to study anoles and lizards and wildlife. And if you had to pick one thing, like what's the absolute favorite part of the work that you do? What's your favorite part about researching anoles? So the the best part about doing research is being able to answer a question and a lot of the times answering that question brings up more questions either when you get to the end result or when you're going through the entire process. With anoles, they provide insight into evolution and, and adaptation and they're a really good model species to look at because they will adapt fairly quickly and that's not something that was initially expected but being able to observe it in an animal is amazing i like being able to see the interactions that anoles have with each other because on my island there was just the one anole and now there's two of them the invasive anole comes from an island where there are several other species of anoles so it's had to partition or share resources with other gnolls and it's an interesting thing to see that now it's on another island with another gnoll it will they be able to partition and share resources in that same way and my research is going to help try to answer that question as well there's a, a lot that gnolls can help us figure out and help us answer and i'm really happy to be working on a species like that I know I won't be able to answer every question, but I hope that I can get more people interested in them and to studying them, that they can help work on these and help us get those questions answered as well. But they're such a, a widely variable species. There's so much diversity in this genus. I can't imagine working on anything else right now. Very cool. And so my, la my last question always on this show is a fun question. And it's if you were allowed to make a wish for something that would really make the life of researchers easier, or maybe specifically the work for your type of research field easier and more efficient, and what would that be? And this is again a fun question and any answers are allowed for this. Ooh. Well, I know for me, if there was something that could just like instantly extract and sequence the DNA of the fecal samples, <laughs> just immediately tell me what is in here, please. I don't want to sit and look at the centrifuge anymore, please. <laughs> that would be really cool. It would be amazing. 
Awesome. Chelsea, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today before we wrap up? Anoles are very cool lizards. Please follow me on Twitter at Chelsea Herps and listen to me rant about them every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central. I had to choose a time for it specifically so everybody knows like when it's going to happen and also so that I know <laughs> when I'm going to post it. So every Thursday. Yes. Awesome. Chelsea, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your stories and insights on the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. This is your host, Anita, and we look forward to being with you for our next episode. This program was produced by H Media. We'll see you soon. <laughs>